0: Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Welcome, everybody. How are we this morning? It's good to see everybody. If you're new to CBC or if maybe you missed the communion tables right back there at the end of the service, we're going to take communion today so you can get up and walk over there and show everybody that you weren't paying attention when you walked in, and that's just fine. If you're watching online, now's a great time to press pause or just while we do this next section, find something juice-like and something bread-like and, and share and communion with us at the end. But we're glad you're here, and today is the second week in a series, it's two weeks long, about The value and rhythms of the gathering church. And so we're going to spend some time this morning and pick up where we left off last week in Hebrews 10, and we're going to talk about why it's important that we do this, why it's important that we gather together, and why it might feel like pushing back against some cultural values that are in place in the world outside of this space. But before we do that, at CBC, we take some time and we pray at the beginning of the sermons because... We believe that God brought us here, we know that God is near, and we know that the Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. And so we want to leave behind the critical spirit of our culture and just in this moment, in this space, ask God what He has for us today. We want to ask God to show up and for us to recognize the Spirit working through His Scripture so we're going, to send, um, we're going to spend just a, a couple minutes praying for that. And I'll ask if you're comfortable that you say a prayer to yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to, to do a work in your spirit this morning. And I'll ask that you pray for me, um, that I do a good job just walking through the text and showing everybody the goodness of God each and every week. So let's pray together. God, I'm thankful that we can gather. In this space or online, I'm thankful that we can get with people, and remind each other of the bigger story and the greater narrative of the things that really matter. It's the job of the church. And so I pray that as we open the scripture today, Holy Spirit, convict us and and encourage us, give us hope, and show us the goodness of God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you meet us where we are, because that's what God does, and I pray that you teach us and lead us this morning. If you're comfortable I'm going to give you a couple seconds, just say a quick prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit might speak to your spirit this morning. And ask that you pray for me, that God uses my words and my preparation to show people how good he really is and why it's good to be here. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. And then Hebrews 10, if you have a Bible, there is this verse that's often quoted in churches when we want to raise our attendance, right? And it's Hebrews 10, 25, it goes something like this. Do not give up or let us not neglect our meeting together as some of you have been doing or as some people do. And then we preach a sermon on why attendance is, is important because we want numbers to go up and feel better about ourselves as pastors, right? Uh, But really what we're doing in this verse and in this text and in this series is recognizing a cultural truth that that the church is not increasing in numbers of people that show up on Sunday morning. And then COVID happened and we see crisis as an accelerator, which meant what we talked about last week was that 36% of the people that showed up in churches before COVID are showing up after COVID. And so the question we have to ask is, what's the value of gathering together? What, what's the point of it? Why do we do it every week? Because if you've been going to church for 10 or 20 or 30 years, you're probably asking the question, I've heard it all, I've seen it all, I've done it all. What's the value of us gathering together? And, and in the text, what the writer of Hebrews says, in the context of a group of people who are leaving their faith and going back to Judaism, he says, after he makes this case throughout the book, that Jesus is a better prophet priest and king. He says, and don't forget meeting together. It starts in verse 19. It's one sentence in the Greek and it goes all the way up through 25 and builds this crescendo of this is why you meet together. But in verse 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, he he goes into this foray of you gather because it reminds you of who you are and whose you are in God. And so one of his first points to why do we gather together that we fleshed out last week was because everything in culture is vying for your identity. Don't forget where it really is found. Because everything outside of this space tries to tell you that it should define you, and God says, I define you. And so the beginning of why we meet together is simply to remind ourselves of the beautiful truth that our identity is found in Jesus because Jesus is trustworthy, it's not changing. It's a simple and profound truth that impacts all other aspects of my life. My goodness and value and worth is not based on my performance or my job or my family or how well my kids listen to me today. Thank God it's based on God. And so he's going to keep going in our text. But before we get there, if you remember last week, I had all staff a couple months ago. We asked the staff, what are some reasons why people aren't engaging in church anymore after COVID? And just so you don't forget, this is what I deal with every week. They said, Charlie very hostile work environment, right? That's right. I just want to remind you of what I put up with on a weekly basis. But no, if you actually go right to the right of there, you'll see one of my favorites. It just says culture. And so today what we're going to do is spend some time talking about or juxtaposing our culture from the biblical culture of church gathering. A couple different ways you can define culture. I like these two. Culture is the sum of total of the learned behavior of a group of people that are generally considered to be the tradition of that people and are transmitted from generation to generation. Another definition of culture would say, culture is a way of life of a group of people, the behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them and that are passed on or along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. The word culture goes back to a Latin word that means to grow or to, to mend or to build up. There's a, a, a brand called the Culture Blend. This guy's whole job is to assess cultures and then talk about how cultures are different. He has TED Talks. He has books. It's a really great job if you can get it. He flies around and says, let me tell you about your culture. Really cool work. He does this workshop where he gets a whiteboard and he says it works every single time. He asks people to define culture. And so different people go up to the whiteboard and they write different parts of their life, like the way we speak or the food we eat. And he says, what happens as it progresses is it gets more and more nuanced. So somebody will write the way we eat food. And then somebody else will write the kinds of foods that we eat. And then somebody else will say the way that we cook the bacon that we eat. And it just gets more and more nuanced. His whole point he says works every time, is that he gets to a place where he says there is no part of our lives that are not impacted by culture. Our culture dictates who we are and who we're becoming. And so we have to ask the question this morning, if our culture seemingly doesn't have as high of a value of church gathering anymore, what in our culture is missing the boat from God's culture? What's happening? That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting into. And so he continues in his sentence, if you pick up in verse 24, and he says, and let us take thought of how we're to spur one another on towards love and good works. He starts by saying, hey, you know who you are and whose you are. And then he says, and right before he reminds them to not forget gathering together, he says, you need to take thought of how you're to spur one another on towards love and good works, meaning be a better people, right? But That's why a lot of people come to church. They want to connect with God and they want to be better people. And, and what this does is it reminds us of a truth that we need to repeat often in church, especially Bible-heavy kind of senior pastor talks too long for a sermon churches where the guy talks for 40 minutes instead of 14. That would be better for everybody, which is that our pursuit of Christ is not marked by intellect but life change and that the goal of Christian maturity is not Jesus' jeopardy. It's always how well we love those around us. That's how Jesus defined what followers of him look like. And so he gets into the space where he says, this is why you gather together, you spur one another on towards loving, good works together. What I love about this text, what I love about what he's saying here is that if you catch it, it says, not so that you might come and be a better person, it's that you might come and help somebody else be a better follower of Jesus intrinsically in our culture, what we have to recognize is we have this rampant individualism that often defines us. Why do you go to church? For you. What's church about? You. And the writer of the Hebrews says, hey, this is why we're going to keep gathering together because you need to take thought of how to spur someone else on towards Christ's likeness. It reveals two things for me. One is that we need other people to help us look like Jesus because I'm blind to my own blindness, you know? I don't see the places I need to grow. I think they're great. It's an altruism that you don't know how selfish you are until you get married. And then you think you're really selfless, and then you have a kid. And then you think you're really selfless, and then you have another kid. And then you say, why do I keep having kids? And so we need to recognize that the reason why we spur one another on is because I need other people to show me where I need to look more like Jesus. Because so often I look in the mirror and I say, man, I look good, you know? And so he says, do not, do, come to church, gather together so that you might spur one another on. That word one another in the New Testament's found a hundred different times. And it kind of flies in the face of how we pursue or run after Jesus individually. There is a German man named Gert Hofstede. He's the founder of a comparative intercultural research uh, collective. He wrote a book in 1991 called Culture and Organizations, Softwares of the Mind real page turner there. Uh, and what he does is he, he looks at all these different cultures and he said, man, I want to know how we can compare them because they're so different. And he came up with five different power indexes on how we can compare cultures. Basically, he just said, I'm going to give you five buckets so you can put every culture. And so I know if I go to France, this is where we're going to be similar and this is where we're going to be different. And and he used it along power distance and individualism versus collectivism and masculinity versus femininity. And and just to cut to the point, guess where America lands in its individualistic bent? First in the world. We are the most individualistic society comparatively to almost any other society in the world. And that not only changes how we see one another, it changes how we see the pursuit of our faith. It's why I ask you, hey, what do you do for a living? And not, what did your parents want you to do for a living? You know, It's why we ask things about you and your life and us and our life. One is not better than the other. Both have pitfalls, individualism and collectivism. And our gospel is both. Jesus came to save you individually, personally. You individually, personally have sins, but we make up the kingdom of God. We make up what God is doing. God came to save not just individual people, but places and spaces and cultures to redeem it all. And so when we talk through why we gather at church, one of the first concepts of our culture, constructions of our culture that we have to realize is that it's an individual effort, so often in our culture that should be one that we see corporately. And why that makes a difference. So often we read texts like this and we read, let us not neglect meeting together and we say, I should come to church more because it's good for me. But I think the writer here is saying we should come to church more because it's good for those around us. I think the writer here is saying that this text is not for Christian individuals but Christian communities. The passage doesn't warn us that when we skip church we put ourselves at risk. Rather it warns us That when we skip church, we put other people at risk. The problem of stopping to gathering in churches is that we don't love people well and spur them on towards Jesus. It's not about you. And so the writer of Hebrews in a collective society stands up in front of his people and says, don't miss gathering together because other people need you. Because that's how we become more like Jesus together. So we need to distance ourselves from this cultural dominant thread of individualism that dominates how we see ourselves and our gatherings and our sin and our. He says, no, you gather because it's good for the guy next to you. He says, so spur one another on towards love and good works. And then he continues and he says, this is the verse that kind of tethers the whole sentence that, that grounds it by not abandoning your own, your own meetings as some are in the habit of doing. And we've got to understand that just simply with this one, we don't abandon meeting together because you know what's really hard to do? Something you've stopped (laughs) again. I was, my daughter turned three this week, so it's been a year of parties. And yesterday, we had a, a flamingo pool party for her with her and her friends, you know. And so we have some friends over and all these kids everywhere, and I'm getting in the pool and I'm realizing, man, I haven't worked out in a really long time, you know. Because I have a 10-month, I don't, he is four months old. See this, this is what not sleeping does. I'm a four-month-old and I have a three-year-old and there's just not a lot of time or energy to work out when you have kids that age. And so I got in the pool and I yelled to everybody, it's not a dad bot; it's a father figure, everybody, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I thought to myself, how quickly do muscles atrophy when you stop doing things that are good? says, hey, don't neglect gathering together because here's just the simple truth. The first Sunday we sleep in and skip church, it's easier to do it again the next week. And, and, And let me make sure we understand one thing. This is not a sermon about why you're a bad person if you miss church, not at all. I think sometimes missing church is a good thing. I think sometimes not gathering is something that you need to grow, but here's the deal. I think overwhelmingly gathering with fellow believers is just better for you so we can find our identity, so we can find our purpose, so we can see the bigger picture of the kingdom of God unfolding in our community. And so he says, don't start something that's going to be unhealthy if it's all you continue or end up doing. And so a a couple things that I want to take a a brief little diatribe here for. Um, COVID hit and Crossroads started broadcasting online, and we love it. It's great. We went from like mid-1995 technology church to like 2002 technology church overnight. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of time and a lot of effort, you know? And one of the hardest things right now is in the church, like in the conversations, not just with this church, but all churches, is what's the difference between online presence and presence, presence? I follow leaders and bloggers and pastors who say like the future is online. So the future of the church is strictly online. And I kind of disagree with them a little bit. I think there is space for online. I think it's good if you need it. I think watch it if you can. I think it's beautiful, beautiful but there's something more beautiful about being present with believers that helps us grow. There's a leader I followed, Kerry Newhoff. I'll throw an article in the comment section if you're watching online at some point today, but but he writes about what we miss when we really skip church, like what we're actually actually skipping. And he's got three reasons. I like the first two. Uh, The first one is you you just, you you miss uninterrupted time to open the scripture and hear somebody talk for too long about it. (laughs) He says, y- you miss sitting in a room with other people and hearing from the word of God. Because we have a, a, an interrupted culture. One of my favorite inventions in the last five years, in 2019, it was Time's Invention of the Year, one of them. It's called the Light Phone. I don't know if you've seen this thing. It was 350 bucks, and it was a phone that all it did was call. I said the 1995 came back and said, oh my goodness, you know? What's next, pleated pants and boom boxes, Yeah. It was called the invention of the year because it didn't give you pop notifications. You couldn't get on the internet. You couldn't find social media. You couldn't, I think it had texting, but it was T9 texting. And if you remember what that was, that was hard, right? And and my point here is simply that we are a distracted people. Studies show us that the average person looks at their phone a couple hundred times a day at the very minimum. And when COVID hit and I was at home with my family on Sunday mornings. It was beautiful and I've talked about it. It was life-giving and I've talked about it. It was good not to show up here every once in a while and I've talked about it, but it was also distracting to try and watch a sermon while wrangling kids. I love what T.S. Eliot says in one of his poems. This is in the 30s. He said we're distracted from distraction by distraction. This idea that when we show up at a space together, it helps us focus on the better things in a world that's vying for your attention a world that always tries to interrupt what you're doing. It helps you to say, no, this is good. The second thing he said, which is really important about why we gather like, in a physical space, is we gather in a physical space because music. And I know you might be thinking, Charlie, I don't like the music. I sit outside in the cafe during the music, and I walk in when you start in the church, sermon start, and church actually starts, right? But let me, let me fight that a little bit just with who we are. There are several studies, there are too many for me to list, but there was a study done by MIT a few years ago, and what it found was it played 160 different kinds of sounds, and music was part of it. And over time, it found that you literally have a neural circuit dedicated to simply music, Part of your brain is there only to respond and react to music. And what that tells me is that music is not something that we get sometimes, but that God wired us for music. Do you know why? Because God wired us for worship. It's how he made us to become. And there's a difference between singing loud and proud in your living room and singing with people around you other studies this is non-jesus people studies other studies says that music has also been linked to dopamine release involved in regulating mood and and uh, craving behavior which seems to predict music's ability to bring pleasure coupled with the effects of endorphins music seems to make us feel good and connect with others you know what music does it makes you feel closer to the people that you're singing with or in the room with that's why When you go to a concert and you sing it loud and proud, it's a beautiful experience. You're happy and you're excited and you love the people that you're singing with. My favorite band of all time is a boy band called Boys and Men. Love them, okay? And I remember my first time I went and saw them. I know all of the words to all of the songs. And I'm in the middle of this room, and I'm singing all the lyrics to all the Boys and Men songs. And there are people that don't look like me, that are in different ages than I am, different life stages than I am. And I'm singing, and they're singing, and we're singing to each other. And they we realize the lyrics, and it gets a little awkward. Anyway, so then we, we, we start realizing that we're being formed and bonded together because we're, that's what music does. That's how God wired us to be. That's why when you look at pictures of what life will be when we're with God, worship is an integral part of it. There's also a study done uh, by a couple guys at Stanford University, and it said those who listened to music and coordinated their their movements with music, guys, worship dancing's coming, they coordinated (laughs) their their movements with music, and you're thinking, like, I've seen CBC Sway, it's not coordinated, it's close, everybody, all right? Uh, They were able to cooperate better and act more generously towards one another. Simply put, music makes us more empathetic towards one another. So we're wired for it. It is literally something that brings us closer together, and then it makes us want to help each other out. That's the value and role of worship. You can't get that when you're not here in person. So again, this is not a shame-based show-up and. It's just simply stating the facts of why I think it's incredibly important to show up somewhere on a Sunday morning. And so maybe you're watching online from somewhere else. Find a church around you. (laughs) Go there. It's good. Keep watching us if you want to. But man, it's good for you to be around other believers. I love what this phrasing, this sentence has gotten a lot of play in the last couple weeks around the area. Tony Evans, a pastor in Dallas, he said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. But you don't have to go home to be married but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected, right? It's just the idea. Who's going to (laughs) say, ooh? It's just the idea that men were built to be around each other, to listen to the word of God and worship together. And it has no bearing on your salvation. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying I celebrate when people show up because I think it's how God created us to be. Why do we need each other? We need to gather because it helps us fight fierce independence that oftentimes doesn't see the value in other people towards our sanctification. Why do we need to gather together? Because it fights the, the apathy that comes oftentimes of skipping church, and it's how we're created to function together. But then the writer keeps going. He says, but encourage each other. So he's ending his phrasing here, his points on why we do church together, And he says, first of all, it's about you recognizing the corporate and collaborative nature of how God built his kingdom to form and function. And then also, just the fact that it's a rhythm that we get into again and again and again because rhythms in life are what gives life, if they're good rhythms. And then finally he says, you gather together to encourage each other. One writer uses this phrasing and he says, it's kind of like Niagara Falls. And what he means by that is, Most big water sources start as small water sources. And as we see this stream, join with this stream, join with this stream, join with this stream, you have something so incredibly powerful that it's literally changing the world around it. The idea that we encourage one another is us coming together and saying, look what God did. And As those stories join and grow, we see the power of the movement of God in our world. We need that. That's how we encourage one another. We come together and say, hey, you might have had a bad week and you might have some doubts about the goodness of God. Let me tell you how good God has been to me. I need that. It comes together so that we might say, let's encourage one another. And you know, what we don't see again, we see this idea of let's encourage one another. Our culture is highly individualistic. Sometimes it's apathetic and it's largely consumer driven, which means we go to churches and we say, how is this helping me? Not how am I helping others? There was a 2011 article that I love and it talks about like all the times we post on social media. And basically it says that 40% of tweets on Twitter are classified as pointless babble. And everybody said, sure. Um, and then it talks about the differentiation between informers and me-formers. So I think what social media has done is it's expressed an, in, an intricate trait of all of us that we want life to be revolving around us. So it said that as the narrative implies, me-formers are individuals who frequently broadcast details about themselves, their personal life, and images and videos. They clutter the cyber world, particularly Twitter and Facebook, by sharing too much information, too many updates, or a combination of both. The term meformer was actually coined by researchers at Rutgers University, who used it to label social media users who post updates about their everyday actions, feelings, emotions, and thoughts. The study estimated that 80% of Twitter users are meformers. These are the people that post their sandwich, okay? And look, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm simply saying when we live in this world that 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 is driven by consumerism as a shared value of where we are in our culture, we have to realize that slowly we begin to believe that everything around me is for me. It's a product I can use and lose at my discretion. When it's good for me, I'm all about it. When it's bad for me, I'm not about it anymore. But again, the writer of Hebrews says, "This is why you gather. You encourage one another." I'm afraid that our culture doesn't trade in the currency of one another as much as it trades in the currency of what's in it and what's good for me. In 2005, uh, sociologist Christian Smith wrote a book. It's called Soul Searching the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. So 2005, they were teenagers. Now they're me, right? 30-ish. And he said in the book, he coined a term called moralistic therapeutic deism. You might have heard it before. He says, this is kind of what Jesus followers look for, look at now. They're moralistic, therapeutic deists. And what he means by that, just to unpack it, is that we use God to meet our needs. We don't see ourselves as trying to meet and live out God's will. I go to church because it makes me feel better, because it makes my marriage stronger. True, good, great. But we miss out on the bigger picture of what God is doing all around us. We use church for our own good. And we don't think it's good anymore. We don't need it. One study... This week told me that nearly two out of five churchgoers report regularly attending multiple churches. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. I, I think that could be really good. My question is why? if it's because this church gives me the worship that I want and this church gives me the sermon that I want and this church gives me the kidsmen that I want, I'm simply asking a question. Is church about what you want or what you can give to others? Because the writer of Hebrews says, gather together because it's not about your good. Gather together because you're supposed to encourage somebody else. Gather together because you're supposed to remind other people that they need to look more like Jesus and they can't do that without you. The writer of Hebrews tells us we gather together because it reminds us that we need one another and... In an individualistic, in an apathetic, and in a consumer-driven world, those aren't any reasons he gives for why we meet together as the church. Now look at Jesus, right? If anybody didn't need to go to church, you know who it was? Jesus. And In Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. I don't think anybody in the synagogue taught him something he didn't know, you know? I think he went. He went every week to show people more of who he was, to call people into the better ways of God. One writer says it like this, gathering with God's people is not first about being blessed, but about being a blessing. And that's the big picture. Why do we gather together, online or in person? We gather together because we fight a culture that says individualism is the church that needs you and consumerism says the church is about you. In an individualistic culture, the church reminds us that God is establishing a one-another world, individualism, apathy, and consumerism. The gathering church, they they battle these cultural influences because we need to, because we're reminded that the kingdom of God is different. And as we gather, we are reordered. Gathering reorders our world around God's orders. And here's the big idea. We need us to simply remind us that life isn't about us. In a world that screams to you, it is. We need us to remember the bigger picture of what God is doing all around us. We need us to remember that my job this morning is to encourage somebody to help point somebody towards Jesus. And they're going to do that to me. We need us to remind us that so often our culture misses the boat of what God's kingdom is all about. And we're formed by our culture, by what you sit in, by what you think, by the platforms that you're on. So why do we do church in a world that seemingly doesn't value it? Because it reminds us of the culture of God. It's about something bigger than me. And so we gather together and we share these hopefully encouraging and An honest truth about who God is. We gather together and say, Jesus provides a different but much, much better way. So this morning, again, I hope, I hope, I hope, this is not some guilt trip about, hey, if you're not in church, come to church. That's not not it at all. I remember over the last year, people I've seen, and they they come back to CBC, and they've been away for like a whole year because of COVID and sickness and fears. Great, they've been watching online. I remember one person particularly came up to me I hadn't seen him in like 9 months and and he looked at me and he said, "Hey, Charlie, it's so good to be back." He said, "I've been watching every week, I promise." Right? And I said, oh, "Okay. I don't track your attendance. I'm just glad to see you, you know." Uh, we rejoice over people that find Jesus through the church, whether it's this one or another one, that watch online or show up in person because I think it's better for you so that we might be influenced by the culture of God, not the culture of America, by the culture of God, not the culture of Flower Mound. by the culture of God, not the culture of your business. Fill in the blank. We need to be reminded what the culture of God is all about. It's the kingdom of God that's bigger than you and me. And so this morning, man, if, if you're here, <laughs> God, you're crushing life, you know that? <laughs> but maybe it's just a reminder of why we need us. If you're sitting there saying, I don't know if I need this, I've heard this sermon before, I've been in this text before, we need each other. I need you. Maybe it's just a reminder when it says encourage one another. Today we encourage somebody. And maybe your best good is to find somebody and encourage them. Maybe that happens in a person. Maybe that's a text. <laughs> maybe it's a phone call. This is what we do as the kingdom of God. We encourage one another so that we all together might look more like Jesus because it's important that we gather together. That culture guru guy, Jared, that we talked about at the beginning, he said there was one time that he did this workshop and it had a different outcome and it blew him away. It was a class of fifth graders. And he said, he called on this timid girl in the back and he said, hey, what does culture define it? And he said, this girl had the best answer I have ever heard I've been doing these workshops for years, and she said, well, uh, culture is kind of like the, uh," and then she said, the personality of a group, you know. And that's profound. So why do we need us? Because it reminds us of the personality of the kingdom of God. And so today we end with communion. Today we end with a God that in his, one of his last meals with his disciples said, let me remind you what I'm all about me giving myself for your betterment. The personality of God is one of sacrifice and service and love. The personality of God is one of encouragement. The personality of God is the culture of God, one that we need to be reminded about when we gather together. And so Jesus took cups, if you want to grab yours, and he gathered with his disciples on the night that he was going to the cross. And he held up some bread I'm going to use my teeth. Don't judge me. Nope, the bread's on the bottom. I'm, I'm not smart enough for this guy. There it is. And he gathered his disciples, and he held up the bread, and he said, this, this bread, this is my body. It's broken for you tonight. Eat, and every time you do, remember. And he took the cup, Glass of wine, and he said, This is going to remind you of my blood that's spilled for you, so that you don't have to live with the consequences of your sin. Every time you get together and you drink wine together, remember my personality as sacrificed for you. So when we come together, we take communion. <laughs> when we come together, we sing when we come together, we tell a story about a life that isn't about us because a God sacrificed for us. And in a culture that's so wrapped around themselves and what they can get, what they can buy, what they can do, how refreshing is it? How freeing is it? So the God we serve calls us into something bigger and better. A culture that reminds us that we need us to show us that life isn't about us. Because that's the God we serve. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for calling us into a community of selflessness. Thank you, God, for giving us this place to meet together so that we can be reminded of what your culture values when our culture is seemingly losing those values by the day. May we be a church that gathers not because it's easy or convenient, even though I hope it is, May we be a church that gathers because we recognize the intrinsic value of a life lived for something bigger. We recognize the value of God who gave himself for us. And as we show up each and every week, when we can, may we continue to tell that story. May we be encouraged. pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.